All three Beards Media podcasts originate from the Gravitate Coworking Studio, sponsored by Revelton Distilling Company. What is up, everybody? This is False Starts. Bill Blank, Chris Shipley. Bill, how are you tonight? Swell. How are you, Chris? Good. You know, that opening, I, uh, two things. I got to get with the producer and turn that volume down. Holy smokes, that was loud. <laughs> and also, I really want to find a video of you in your red jumpsuit that you wore at that at that benefit or at that thing with, uh, <laughs> with Willie Farrell. That's what I need. I need you in that red my, suit. My Santa track suit. Saying a tracksuit. That's right. Yeah, it's dope, dude. I wear that every <laughs> Christmas. You know, I found that at Walmart. Uh, I'm shocked. I was on my way. <clears throat> I was doing. I used to. Uh, I used to do every other Thanksgiving in Colorado Springs, and uh, on my way out there, I stopped to get an oil change at Walmart, and I was walking around killing time, and I saw that tracksuit. <laughs> It was in the pajama, you know, they have all the yep. pajamas for Christmas. It was in there, so I bought it, and uh, I wore it on stage all week. And so I've kind of done it ever since when I had shows during the holidays. It's, it's a beaut, I gotta tell you yeah. that. It's well, it's the Joey Claus, you've, you've seen the yeah. Joey Claus videos, that's what yeah. Joey Claus wears. Yep. So that, that was the whole idea, that's where it all came from, and then I just <laughs> wore it on stage for the hell of it. But yeah, I had a... Andrew, I just, uh, I don't know if you can see my logo on my shirt over yep. here. Yeah. Uh, the Remington Trophy logo. I performed at the uh, the festivities. Um, I met Jackson. Uh, Jackson Powers Johnson is the is the name of the kid that won it, the center from Oregon. Yeah. And uh, he was a cool kid. Looks like a baby. He looks like a giant baby. He's he's 20 years old. He's go he's coming out early going to the NFL. Looks like he doesn't even shave yet. Really? And uh but he's just huge. Huh? Well the Bears and, need a center, so maybe they'll draft him. Maybe. It was, he was a nice kid. It'll be fun to watch the draft and like root for him to get drafted and watch. Yeah, him that'll be so. cool. Was that the one you had to go buy a suit for? You had to wear a suit. It was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I uh well, and I had to wear the suit. I, I didn't perform at the trophy presentation i performed at the committee dinner the night before uh so they have you know their committee or whatever who puts everything together <clears throat> and they uh they hired willie to perform at the trophy presentation and then the committee itself it's just like you know those 20 25 people have a dinner the friday before in omaha yeah and uh so that's where I performed and and because of the weather we drove up Thursday night and to avoid the weather and Friday night was the dinner and the restaurant closed where we were having the dinner so I was I was supposed to have dinner in this private room in the restaurant and then perform in that room afterwards 
well, the restaurant closed. So we end up having dinner in the hotel restaurant. And I end up performing in Dave Remington's fucking hotel suite, <laughs> like in the living room, standing on the fucking rug while everybody's in the at a dining room table. There's like 20 guys and they're all, you know, there's Kevin Mawai, who's a. Oh, yeah. Former <laughs> uh, Jet. Yeah, Former Hall jet. of Fame. A yep. uh, couple other guys that, you know, well, Dave Remington. I mean, they're all, these are like NFL players and random millionaires. And yeah, there's like 20 of them. And I'm just in this, but it went really well. Good. Uh, yeah. Good so, deal. Well, listen, uh, uh, let's anyway. go ahead and bring on our guest. Uh, part of the reason I reached out to this gentleman was. Uh, not necessarily to talk about the, the tragic events that happened in Perry, but it got me to thinking and I heard him uh, uh, on the radio uh, a couple of days later with a lot of things that, that these gentlemen and, and, and women have to deal with on an everyday basis and, and some of the tragedy that they see. And I just thought it might be a good topic to bring them on and let's talk about some of the things that they go through and what services that they have. Uh, so uh, Sergeant Paul Parizic, uh, Des Moines, uh, Police Department Public Information Officer was kind enough to join us tonight. So, uh, Paul, we really appreciate you hopping on False Starts with us. Yeah, no problem, man. Thanks for the invite. Yeah. Uh, so, obviously, I want to. We want to talk about. You know, this is a mental health podcast, and and you know, goodness knows, you guys uh, see ungodly amounts of tragedy and things like that, and you probably have a lot to deal with. But before we get into that, uh, before the show, I told you I wanted to ask a couple questions very generically about this, this gambling investigation and some of the stuff that's broke today. Number one, I guess two things. There's a narrative out there that um, law enforcement doesn't necessarily have to tell you the truth when they're asking you questions and things like that, which I understand that. But from what I gather from the released information today, one of the agents wasn't told that he wasn't given the correct information and didn't realize that he was actually not telling Isaiah Lee the, 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 the correct information. So just, I guess my question is, is morally where are we at with that? Cause that seems a little unfair. Well, I guess I'm not up to speed on the Isaiah Lee part. You know, I've, I've looked at a lot of the um, reports that have come out about this and, you know, Van Plum, is a very well-known attorney. Nobody has any reason to doubt anything he says in this case. Uh, he's not always uh, necessarily um, one of our favorites sitting across the table, but uh, the, the guy's got a solid reputation every time I've been around him. Um, he's ethical, appropriate, um, and doing what he the, the best he can for his clients. Um, you know, the things that kind of stood out to us on this as we were, you know, obviously we're on the outside looking in, over at the Des Moines Police Department, but um, one of the things that uh, was really stoking conversation in our office today was this report that if it's true that you know multiple supervisors told these agents or this one agent to knock it off, um, to not go forward and and to stop what he was doing, and uh, we we were all just shaking our heads. We can't believe that he just continued on and, and can't really identify what would be the motivation to do that right. um, you know that uh if if that happened in our building um somebody probably be looking for a job 
Um, or right. I mean, there, there'd certainly be some discipline. If, if you've got supervisors telling you not to do something, the reason they're supervisors and commanders uh, is because they've been there before and, and they have that wisdom. And they also have, you know, a little extra knowledge, a little more savvy about things that are going on um, in the community. And you, you, you follow their guidance. And sometimes, you know, I've had supervisors tell me to do something and maybe it wasn't spot on a, a bullseye, it wasn't, you know, wrong or they weren't leading me down the wrong path. But, um, you know, you do what your bosses tell you to do. And there's a reason for that. Right. Uh, but when it comes to, you know, if you're interviewing someone or if you're talking to or if you're in, in interrogation, you know, we typically typically don't ask a lot of questions we don't already have the answers to. Mm -hmm. But we also don't want to play all of our cards at the same time. Right. So there's there's a, a an area there where you start talking about deceit and deception and right what's going well, let, on so let yeah. me read you let me read you the the, the context here okay. so cuz i brought it up so special agent in charge nelson conveyed to special agent ludwick and others that the nature of this investigation was purely administrative and their targets focused only on fanduel draftkings and other online gaming operators at that point special agent ludwig interviewed Iowa State football player Isaiah Lee later in the morning and reassured Mr. Lee that the focus of the DCI's investigation was solely on online gaming operators and no adverse or criminal consequences would be forthcoming and therefore secured Mr. Lee's statement. Special Agent Ludwig then reported his interview to his superior, Troy Nelson, who congratulated Special Agent Ludwig for obtaining a confession. Contrary to representations made to him and other special agents that morning, Agent Ludwig realized that the purpose of the investigation was actually criminal in nature, with the sole targets being male Division I student-athletes at the University of Iowa and Iowa State. He then advised his superiors that he would no longer participate in the investigation and requested reassignment. Right. Okay, so that last piece I was aware of. Mark Ludwig is a class act. Um, he's been an agent for a long time. I know him. He's a good guy. Uh, in that scenario that you just described there, he's only as good as the information that he's getting. Right. If he's acting in good faith, then he's he's not doing anything wrong. Right. Um, him circling back like he did once he realized, um, I think that speaks to his character and his Agreed. ethics as a police officer. So Agreed. Yeah. yeah, I just there was a narrative out there today that that it was okay that I it, I mean obviously when you're interrogating people and things like that, you can flub the truth and, and things like that. There's nothing wrong with that. What, what I think the crux of it here was, is this gentleman, agent Ludwig didn't think that he was doing that. Right. He, he, unfortunately his superiors didn't give him all the information. And that's, that's, that's the sad reality of that. So, yeah. And, and he is a class act and, and you know, interrogations are a weird thing and it's a, you know, when I think about it right now, I'm thinking about our class A felonies. If we're doing a murder investigation, we're doing, you know, a sexual assault in, or, or something along those lines. And you're talking to somebody and you know they did it. You just don't necessarily have all the evidence at that point. Right. I mean, because that's where a lot of our stuff is. It's in that gray area where people have told us, but we don't we don't have that that piece right. to, to file that charge to get that probable cause. Um, you might sit there and tell somebody, hey, listen, man, I know you, you did this. And there are reasons why I know you did this. I'm giving you an opportunity to explain yourself. Right. Um, but, yeah, this wasn't one of those cases. It, it doesn't sound like what uh, all the evidence is. And 
you know, um, I think it's probably, there's going to be a ripple effect. You know, I know uh, the commissioner of the DPS and he is a stand-up guy. Um, I, I don't know if I'd want to be on the receiving end of what's going to come out of this uh, as far as the administrative piece. Right. So as in like the lead investigator getting disciplined or? Yes. And who is that guy? What was that guy's name? Um, starts with an S. S uh, Sanger. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I saw, I looked his name. I think it was him. I looked up right away when his name first came out. And I saw he was like the he was like the keynote speaker at some thing at the Riverside Casino about sports. Like it was it was while this was going on, even like he was it was like, yeah, I'm going to tell you all how to bust guys gambling on sports. Like it was I mean, you could see it on the website. They were advertising it. And I was like, this. I feel like. Could the motive just be pure jealousy that we like, were talking? <laughs> like, here's my, here's my, here's why. Here's why I think maybe, and this may be a really dumb example, but Chris, remember my argument on Keith Murphy's page a few days yes. ago? Yeah. Yep. So I was, Keith Murphy had posted how Phil Parker got a raise at Iowa, right? And I commented, worth every penny. And this guy comments, about how it's ridiculous how much money these guys make and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, you know, it's capitalism. It's relative. I mean, what are you going to do? And he's like, well, I've been farming for all these years and basically saying he should make that much money for farming. I know right? some farmers like, that do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But he's, you know, more or less, I mean, could this guy be sitting there pissed off that, amateur you know these college athletes now that they're getting nil gambling you know could he be mad that they're making this money and he's got this prestigious job that he's not a million he should be a millionaire for doing his job um you know i suppose it's a possibility i've seen i've seen similar adolescent motives you know and yeah it's a yeah. It's very small now one right. of the things that we had heard today that came up in conversation as we were discussing this. And, and, and again, you know, our, our focus was on the, the whole vibe in our conversation as we talked about this, and you've got some great minds in our building and some sports guys. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, it was our, our, our focus was on the, how do you continue on after your bosses tell you no? Well, well, and, yeah, that's um, too many movies. But well, I, I, a guy who had to bust the or, crooked or, department, you know, or the conspiracy person in me says that somebody higher up had already okayed it and said, go ahead and do it anyways. Yeah. Wow. You know, I, I've, I've seen those things happen too. And there's usually one or two people that know about it and that's it. You know? Yeah. But right. Um, you know, but one of the, the theories that we had heard and again, rumor through the grapevine, whatever, is that he's a huge Huskers fan. And you know, follows the Huskers around and, and that this was motivated by some kind of Iowa hate. And that's why it started there. Well, cause now, you can't gamble in Nebraska. And it, it, again, it seems so adolescent, but, um, you know, taking it down to, to real crime, you know, a lot of times we were talking to people who have done some of the most serious crimes and some things that were just so hard for people like us to wrap our brains around. And you ask them why, and they're like, Hmm, right yeah he looked at me wrong yeah 
Yeah. yeah. Just I mean, could be anything. Fact. Right. Yeah. It's, yep. it's, it's definitely going to be an interesting, I, I think things are going to start falling more and more now that these depositions are coming out and whatever, but. So. Yeah. And one of the worst parts about it is that, you know, the, the DCI and the DPS um, as a whole are full of some of the best investigators and best police officers that you're going to find anywhere. And it's just like when somebody in our bu building does something dumb, right? You know, something wrong. You know, the rest of us got to carry that weight. That's, it's not fair. Right. And, you know, and, and I, I, I have a lot of uh, empathy, sympathy, both for them uh, that we work with every day that are going to have to shoulder this because it's going to keep coming up. It won't well, go away for a while. And unfortunately, for the hundreds of things that you guys do good, the one side's going to grab this one narrative now and run with it and paint everybody with a broad brush. And that's just not fair. No, not at all. You know, and you know, you talk, well, here, here's a piece that we were talking about there, this geofence thing that uh, has been a big piece of this, that is yeah. a valuable investigative tool that we use. And when used appropriately, it helps keep people safe. You know, we, there've been large events that we have hosted in the city of Des Moines that we drop a geofence around and we look for certain words like gun, fight, right. you know, I mean, the slang that, that might be exchanged in messages as people are getting ready to do something wrong. Sure. So, you know, you don't want to lose that tool. And you also don't want to have it cast in this dark light because it's actually a valuable piece of uh, um, public safety. Well, and I can't imagine as, as much as that intrusive isn't the word I'm looking for, but as much as that can look into the things, I can't imagine that's an easy warrant to get. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, because because of the the, the privacy uh, uh, of that stuff, the, the, there has to be a damn good reason to get a warrant for that. If so I'm if guessing if he would have went to a judge yeah. and said, I want to get a warrant to place this over here to see if anybody's gambling, he wouldn't have got it. It depends on, you know, exactly how deep you want to go, right? So if you just want to see if um, it's kind of like Facebook or, or any other social media platform, you can just get out there and look at, you know, open source information. You can do that. And there are there are tools out there that you can use to to suck in the information you're looking for. You know, everybody does it, you know, a basic search engine. Yeah. Well, and, less, and yeah. businesses do it. They, they pay for the analytics sure. so they can see yeah. what people are talking about. Um, you don't need a warrant for that kind of stuff. Uh, but when you want to start, the, the deeper you go, yeah, the, the more um, probable cause, the more um, legal justification you need to get into people's private business. And it needs to be that way. It's, yeah. it's, it's not that big of an obstacle for us if we have the evidence we need. I mean, getting a warrant's not hard if you have the evidence that you need. Yeah. And that's the way it should be. Absolutely. Um, so I'm going to change the subject. Yep, I'm ready. <laughs> uh, how much when you when you get home from work how much uh like what do you watch on tv if it's not sports do you stay away from like true crime docs and shit like that do you, can you because i gotta i gotta think heather probably loves a true crime doc she's she's yeah she loves yeah it. <laughs> so what i mean 
Do you want to go find the Kardashians or something? (laughs) Is that what you want to do? And how often do you ruin it for? Like that would never happen. They have to do this. You can't do like you can't. You can't ruin those. Those are real. Well, you know, like if we're watching the X Files, you know, I'm I'm all in on that because I yeah, know that's, that's fun. That, that's out there. <laughs> yeah, you know, that, that's, that's, that's there. <laughs> but uh, you know, when you start looking at some of these crime documents, well, let's just say, like if you're watching CSI or Law and Order, sure, yeah, you know, um, that's bullshit. I'm saying yeah, like like the true down. crime stuff. Um, you know, so there's I'm trying. I can't think of what the name of it is, but it's one of these things that pops up like when we first turn our TV on and it's on that generic channel. Sure. And yeah. It's, it's yeah. Some, some crime thing like new detectives, but it's all like from the nineties. Uh, reruns. You know, and, yeah. 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 But I mean yeah. like from the nineties, like they're, sure. they're driving these cars and you're like, man, that looks like a spaceship, you know, that right. don't have those anymore. Old crown Vicks and stuff. <laughs> oh, those man, last crown Vic I drove. I drove it forever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> those things were a workhorse. Yeah. Um, but uh you know we're watching that and we might have a little conversation about uh yeah you know this has changed or that's changed or you can't do that now but we actually had one come up the other day that was a des moines pd case and it was one where um, they actually the our forensic team actually changed science as it was known then and really made some advancements on how you can get like uh, fingerprints off of bodies oh um, wow super blue fuming yeah, it was a huge case, but I knew the guys in it and I'm watching this and I'm like, yeah, that guy, he's a knucklehead, you know, <laughs> <laughs> or, you know that, that dude over there, he did all the work. He's a smart one. So he put on his suit, you know, I mean, that dude tripped over the body, yeah. <laughs> uh... you know, stuff like that. But, um, you know, when you come home, when we come home, like we, we, we had a day today and you know when you come home you, you try to get away from it a little yeah, bit shut it off yeah that's, yeah. yeah that's what i mean and, and, you know like the three of us can talk sports that's where it's at yeah you yeah. know that's where we go at right least. yeah i wondered like because i mean i uh i just started watching i or well, i just finished this one called uh the the curious case of natalia grace um which is about uh this couple adopted a six-year-old little person who they thought was six. And oh then... no. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> and then they the first night they have her, supposedly the mom sees pubic hair. So now they think that she's older. And it all it basically all just goes from there. I don't want to ruin it. Um, but I I have serious trauma from this that I need to work through after <laughs> like this thing is it's unbelievable. So I would encourage I would encourage you you can find it on HBO Max. I would encourage you and Heather to watch that together. <laughs> and it will you'll have plenty of conversation. I just like that means I shouldn't watch it with her. I love batshit crazy stuff like that's and so like I guess what what that really brings me to and I I took a long time to get here but what that really brings me to is you know how often have you I mean I know your position has changed over the years you know but 
I mean, how often has something just been so batshit fucking crazy? You just have to, you just laugh. Like, oh shit. Like Gallo. I mean, I know there's Gallo's humor, and maybe you can't share right. too much of that, but like, I mean, how often are you just like, are you fucking kidding me? Oh yeah. <laughs> um. You know, I worked uh, at the Polk County Board for many years before I worked for Des Moines PD. And there what were times, you doing there? Uh, you know, we were part of the reception, reception, like we were greeting people. That's not how it was. You tied <laughs> on the toe tags? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> I did. I, I filled them out and I tied them on. <laughs> um, you know, and it, it actually was a, a, a really good experience to be able because this is i'm talking this is back dr wooters days yeah okay you know, yeah i had the opportunity to work with dr wooters mm. dr garrity uh you know so you had some really great minds and uh i mean dr wooters was an icon in this community mm -hmm. yeah and you know he he did things he did things his way he wasn't probably what you would call a forensic scientist mm -hmm. um you know he was a medical examiner but he he had a bedside manner um, with families that were, it was probably one of the more valuable things you've ever seen when it comes to a medical professional. Mm -hmm. um, Dr. Garrity, straight up forensic scientist. Um, I, I couldn't tell sometimes if that dude liked me or if he just wanted to throw me on that table. It's just facts. <laughs> yeah. Facts. Um, like, the, the, I think one of the times that I did see him smile and laugh, I was like, oh man, is this it? Is he going to do me right here? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you, you see things and you are like, like you just, you can't wrap your brain around some of it. And some of it is the, the things that we do to ourselves. And some of it's the things that people do to each other. So there, and then there's, when you start talking about the scope of emotion there, those are polar opposites, you know? Yeah. Cause it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of, ah, oh man, just, uh, heartache when it comes to a lot of the things that we we do to each other but at the same time um you once you get into this business for a while um the the compassion and the, the way you like we had a scene today um that we were at downtown where uh, a person had committed suicide and their um, employer hadn't heard from him since saturday it sounded a little little odd at the time so i thought well maybe i should roll down there too and um as i stood there with these other officers in this apartment you look around this apartment um you can you you start to look at like how much effort they put into decorating their place to their their style their you know their their flavor um some of the precision and the pride that goes into that and then you could also see there was some stuff that was broken and you're like, you could feel the, you know, just the frustration and the heartache and the, you know, just the angst that they were probably feeling. And then to see this person, you know, who hung themselves, um, you can, see, you get to this point in this career where you can see this happening in your mind. And um, that's tough sometimes. Like you, know, you almost put, that, I, you almost yeah. put their day together in your head. Yeah, you know, because like I'm standing there and I'm looking at the calendar on the wall, and there's there's appointments through the rest of the month, right? And it, it, it's I don't know, it's it's uh, oh, I can't even really say how you want. 
it, it's surreal to a certain point. Sure. But there's also, um, you know, the, it doesn't. Thirty years in, you still feel like, man, this this ain't this isn't what's happening here. This can't. Yeah. There's got to be something more. Right. And I, despite having all the answers right in front of you, I I think there's a another piece to that 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 people don't realize, uh, in that you you leave a scene like that, and, and and your officers leave a scene like that, and they get another call, they have to be able to flip a switch. Oh yeah. And reset and how hard that can be. And I, and I related a little bit to when I was going, uh, when I had cancer and I would go to, to chemo every Monday, it dawned on me about four weeks in, these nurses make a connection with the people that are in there. And they're smiling and very accommodating and whatever, but I know that they probably have made connections with people that all of a sudden didn't show up anymore because they didn't make it. And they have to flip a switch. So I can't imagine how hard that is for you to be able to, to have to do that in an instant sometimes. Yeah, there's a, there's probably the, the difference that stands out when you start talking about the medical profession. You know, a lot of those nurses probably knew it was coming. Yeah. You know, and they see their role as comfort. I'm going to make this person as comfortable as I possibly can until that moment comes. You know, I just want them happy. And, and there, man, there's something so noble about that uh, you're right with us it's you know it's unexpected you just don't know right um and you do have to flip that switch and, and one of the things that we we impress upon uh, our young officers our newest ones is that you may be at a scenario or a situation like what i just described here you might be at a homicide or a fatal crash and you're soaking in all this horrible imagery and right you're 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 trying to process that and then you know the way it impacts the people who are around you and then yeah you might have to go talk to somebody about their stolen bicycle and right. what you have to remember is for everybody in those two scenarios that's the worst day of their life right yeah. now yeah i mean that's the right. worst thing that's going on i mean this is the most important thing that's happening to all of them you know their their bike got stolen and their buddy got killed yeah uh, you know, and if you can look at it like that, and you know, that's why we we emphasize hiring character and then training skill. If we can hire good people, it doesn't matter where they come from. Um, if they've got some compassion, if they've got the ethics, if they've got good character, we can train them everything else. Because when it gets right down to the moments when you really need it, that character is what's important. I, 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 that's good to hear. I mean, cause I've, I, I've actually said that when, you know, when I've had different arguments about like, you know, even way back during like the BLM movement and when that was hot and heavy and, uh, you know, different scenarios like that, where I've always said, that's what, you know, cops 90% of the time and maybe even more so whoever they're dealing with they're dealing with them on their worst day oh yeah and mm -hmm. if if our cops like if you just look at numbers you know people are labeled as minorities for a reason because they're the minority that means there's less of them right and so if if that's going to bear itself out when in the numbers of every profession so if we're a predominantly white city then our officers are going to be predominantly white. 
and the percentages are probably going to be the same as in every other place. And so if you've got a, a, a predominantly white group of people who never deal with black people on a daily basis, other than on their worst day, because up until then, that's uh, they didn't, that's all they knew. Right. And so like, of course that group of people becomes a bigger threat to them because it's a foreign thing. It's, it, it, it brings more fear. You know, and that there's truth to that and that, but that's what the, the basis of our bias training is, mm-hmm. you know, it's to understand that the things you just described exist, the, the, to understand that the we unconscious have, bias. Yes. Right. We yeah. all, we all come into this with that mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter who you are. You've got it. Yeah. Right. Um, and uh, as a matter of fact, I just uh, started digging into a book that I would recommend everybody reads, but it's called Talking to Strangers um, by Malcolm Gladwell. And it, mm-hmm. it actually breaks down a lot of different um, uh, criminal cases and to where a lot of this boils down to we don't know who we're talking to. And if mm-hmm. we knew who we were talking to, things would change. A hundred percent. And it also kind of justifies or explains a lot of the, the policing strategies that we've had that um, people who don't understand policing don't get. For example, mm-hmm. I worked the east side for a long time. Bill, you're familiar. Yeah. <laughs> if if I go rolling up to um, hard times east and there's a fight and I'm, I'm like, yo, sir, can you please calm down? You know, it'd be a lot easier for us to communicate if you would just kind of notch it down a little bit. How effective is that going to be other than if I roll up there and I'm like, yo, shut the fuck up, man. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, yeah. I mean, yeah. We need to get, we need, we got things we need to do. Yeah. All right. So, you know, those are, are little things that are so important to understanding the nuances of how we can effectively police and um, reading the audience. Yeah. Knowing the yeah. crowd, knowing your crowd. Like, there's, and, and it's, that's a great example. Like, there's uh, de escalate versus escalate. And I wonder how many officers have probably learned that lesson the hard way about, yeah, about their <laughs> approach. Like, I started in 91, man. I learned a lot the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, like, you, you'll love this. So I actually, I've talked about this on this podcast because I've, I, I, and I talked about it a whole bunch with my therapist yesterday too. Um, I, this year, at Kinnick Stadium, I've completely cussed out two different cops on two different occasions <laughs> because, you know, I mean, you know me, I'm a lunatic. I'm not a threat in any way, shape, or form. I will lose, I do lose control of my mouth, but I've never, you know, whatever. I don't lose control of myself, but I look, I look like I'm gonna, I wanna fight somebody, but I'm also having a really good time. I know I look like that. It's like, uh, like if you watch the national championship game, the Michigan uh, national championship game, they showed Jalen Rose in the crowd, right? Mm-hmm. And he's in the crowd, like he's talking, like, like that's what I look like. But I'm having fun. Oh, I've seen you on TV. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, Jalen didn't have the chains. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but like at one point, like there was one cop that came over. 
and he's like, you know, you need to calm down. And I've been sitting there for, I've been sitting there for five years, six years, ever since, yeah, ever one. since that is my favorite photo ever. <laughs> I used to Actually, I was trying to find the one where he's screaming and his yeah. veins are popping out. Yeah, that one. And you know what? I'm screaming. So I'm W. My section is W when they go I-O-W-A after a score. I'm screaming W. That's why my hands are like this. I'm like, W. It's after a touchdown. It's But it looks like I'm yelling at somebody like I want to fight. But anyway. Welcome to our world. I've had, <laughs> yeah. I've had... Over the years, most most of the officers that have come up and said something to me were jovial. They were like, oh, like they were worried about my health. Like they'd make a joke as if I'm going to have a heart attack or, yeah. you know, whatever. And we laugh it off and the, they kind of know me. And, like there's a dude that fist bumps me before every game and all this stuff. But then there's these other guys that this year, they were new this year. And so the one guy comes over and just, right, you need to calm down. <laughs> and I can't, I can't stand people that are acting like they're in charge of me when they're not. So like, I give the guy credit because he did, he probably could have taken me to jail for disorderly conduct at the very least. I mean, that seems like a pretty loose, because like, you know, when he, I said right away, like, not going to happen. I'm not going to calm down. Like this is i've been sitting here forever you just got here like these are <laughs> like, i'm the goddamn mayor of the north end so these are my people <laughs> but <laughs> i employ you as the mayor of the north end so, but like uh but so eventually like i'm like cut i'm like talking to my buddy like i'm calling him all kinds of little bitches and i'm all mad at him and uh i apologized to him the following week he was he was there again so I apologized the following week and, you know, it was like, yeah, I, I got to be better, blah, blah, blah. Um, another guy later on says something to me, told me I was being a dick during the, you know, and I, I do the same thing. So like, how come they didn't, I mean, cause they could at Kinnick stadium, you can literally just call a number and say somebody's bothering you and they'll come and make them leave. That's, that's not uncommon. At a lot of stadiums. There's a, like a, a hotline you can either text. Yeah, which is bullshit because they don't even have to have any evidence. Well, the way I've understood it, and uh, I don't know if it operates that way. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think you just get to say, hey, somebody needs to leave because everybody in that moment has the right to be there. Now you have yeah. to also absorb the fact that those are those venues are something you can get tossed out of. Right. But I the way I've understood it and the way I've always operated and I worked at a lot of sporting events um, is that that's, that's a last resort. I mean, I've worked for the iCubs for almost 10 seasons yeah. and I arrested one person in that time and it happened last summer and it was a drunk driver. Oh, just you know? coming so, out of the parking lot or something. Yeah. He almost ran me over. Oh, like, Jesus. <laughs> oh yeah. Ask Heather. Cause she wrong was, guy. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Heather, Heather and my daughter were both there and watched it happen. And you know, Heather doesn't necessarily have an easy button. When right. Things like that happen. She, what you just described in the north end zone—that was happening in the parking lot at second. <laughs> <laughs> she was on our side. Yeah. <laughs> I was de-escalating my wife while. Yeah, I got it. I got it. But you know, you. You, you made an interesting point that we or brought up an interesting piece when you talk about de-escalation. 
Yeah. And, you know, he could have approached me differently. The de-escalation is something it, it's been happening. I wish I was the guy who came up with the term community policing because I'd have stamped a trademark on that and I'd have been a millionaire. Yeah. Same thing. Same thing with de-escalation. We've been doing it for years. I mean, decades. It's just always been called. Some, I mean, it's wasn't labeled it, properly It's verbal judo or tactical right. speech or yeah, whatever. Yeah, it yeah. Is. But the, the, the thing that a lot of people don't understand about it is it's not some Jedi mind trick or some we're not going to walk up and like blow fairy dust on you and say, "Ooh, you're de-escalated and you're going to. Yeah, be fine. yeah, right. It, it's, it's human. Some, it's something that we offer you. You know, we offer you, hey, listen, we would like to do this. Would you like to do it with us? And let's do it together. And yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. De-escalation yeah. is. And, you know, it's it's one of those words that's just been, you know, taken off and on down the road. But, yeah, starting off by saying you need to calm down. You know, that's one of the first things you learn in husband school. Never yeah, yeah, your wife. yeah. You know, can you just right. can, you, can you chill out? You need yeah. to calm down. No, that doesn't work. Yeah, <laughs> that, that actually, that actually happened in this house two days ago. I was trying to fix something, and I was getting angry at the situation. And Jordan walks in and he goes, "You just calm down." And I instantly snapped on him. And I was so later on, I was like, "Listen, when somebody's angry, the last thing you want to tell them is is to calm down." Like that's not, that's not the phrase you want to use. Cause instantly right. that made me even angrier. Yeah. You know, one of the first things you, you need to do is um, in those scenarios, like I've always told folks, and this was again, before we really got deep into this training, you know, what I learned from growing up in a household where there was high dynamics and, you know, some substance abuse that with my parents that kind of worked its way out on the way down the road. But one of the things you always wanted to do is, is say, hey, what can I do to help you? Or I'm not, I don't, I can't hear what you're saying right now because of the way you're saying it. Right. You know, maybe we, you know, I mean, all those things, what's it, what's it going to take for me to get you to get in this police car? I mean, that, that's one of those other things. You give people an opportunity to feel like they, they're making the choices. Like Bill said, he doesn't want somebody who doesn't have power or control over him trying to exercise right. power and control. Right. You that's. Know, so. I mean, that's that's yeah. what I was talking about with my therapist yesterday because that's one of my triggers, which we decided yesterday goes clear back to getting molested when I was six, which we've talked about on here a long time ago. So, you know, it's not – I we don't need to get into all that, but that lack of control, like that was something that never – I never thought affected me. I've only in the last couple of years uncovered where that has had some type of long-term effects on me. And I think that's part of one of my triggers because being six years old at the time and the way that scenario started out was with him saying that I did something where I had to go apologize to him and me knowing that that wasn't true but all the adults around me telling me that I was lying because I didn't want to get in trouble. So then mm -hmm. I had to go apologize for something I didn't do so on and so forth. So I think that that did something to me where anytime someone tries to exercise control over me or it gave me the desire to be heard, I need to be, I need people to believe what I'm saying. Right. Um, and I think it goes way back there. And I've only just now discovering that that's where it comes from because I've been that way my entire life. Yeah. And, 
without a doubt, you know, I think we all probably have stories that are maybe not same circumstances, sure. but similar. Um, the, the power dynamics in relationships are probably the crux of a lot of, of therapy. Mm -hmm. uh, what brings people there, whether it's the power dynamics in, in, in a, a marriage, you know, between men and women or a, adults and children or, you know, scenarios where it's the police and a, a citizen, mm -hmm. you know, they're, power dynamics are at the root of a lot of um, trauma and misunderstandings, you know, that mm -hmm. handled differently could probably, um, it, we, we wouldn't have those issues. Again, I, I, I'm not trying to sell this book, but this talking to strangers talks a lot about that. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I think that I think that sounds fantastic. I, yeah. I would definitely want to check it out um, because these are all, you know, part of why I, I mean, I've I've talked about that scenario on this podcast before because I, I want to be open about it. I want, you know, um, I try not to to bring things down. Part of part of my goal with this podcast is to have a good time talking about hard things. And sometimes it's going to get harder and more serious than others. But um, I, I bring that up just to kind of, uh, you know, use it maybe not quite as an excuse, but kind of an example of what I'm working through now, because I'm hoping that, uh, you know, this sounds stupid kind of, but um, it's kind of a weird goal I'm setting for myself that <laughs> makes me. Um, I have goals. I, I want next football season i don't want anything like that to happen <laughs> like i i baby, i you need you need baby steps bill i i want to be <laughs> i want to be better i mean i am not gonna there is no way i'm gonna calm down during the game but i do need to be a little more respectful of the people around me because like you know being in the front row everybody that sits to my right they've been sitting there with me the whole time. They're my friends at this point. I'm like uncle Billy to their kids. And like, we just, we're all lunatics and they're, they don't give a shit what comes out of my mouth. Like they love me. And then immediately to my left will be whoever I bring to the game with me. Well, to the left of them, like the next several seats are different every week. It's some, some company has them, somebody has them, but it's always different people. And so sometimes there's a little kid there. Sometimes there, you know, it depends. And most of the time I have a great rapport with them and we have a great time, but you know, maybe if there's a six year old girl, three seats down from me, I don't yell at the ref that his wife's fucking the mailman right now. Like I have to be better than that. <laughs> God. That, that with this, we always hit this one part of the podcast where I, I feel like that's now a good goal. To take a break. Yeah. Well, right? like that cop with that, if that cop would have came up to me and said, how can I help you right now? I would have said, you can take that gun and shoot that fucking referee that just called that a fair catch. That's what okay, so, <laughs> <laughs> so, I can work with that. <laughs> I'm not going to go out and do that to the referee, but I can, I'm like, Hey, yeah, man, that that's not going to happen right now because we kind of need him to keep this game going. Yeah, yeah. So, if it ends up next, being a funny interaction, right. probably is yes. what happens. And and I'm I'm telling you, and I I see this every day, all the time. 
Um, I've been doing it for years. Those are some of the, the, the moments that totally pivot, you know, uh, a tense situation. Yes. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you, this one got some news coverage, um, recently, well, I was, we were still in short sleeves and I remember I was sweating. So it was sometime towards the end of the summer, but I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Windsor Heights brought a car chase into the city. Um, guy had a bunch of warrants, I think parole violation. I think he knew he was going to go back to prison. Um, he ends up on the West side, about 13th and Carpenter area, um, bails out of his car, takes off running down an alley, right? As I'm coming up towards university, he runs over and he's on a bridge, the university Avenue bridge over Keough way. Oh yeah. You may have seen this on KCCI because they were able to swing their camera on their tower around and zoom in on us. Oh, wow. And the, the story came down to this kid's kid. He's, he's an adult, but young guy. Yeah. Young, young man. Younger than us. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's, he's threatening to jump off the bridge. He's straddling the bridge. He's on the phone with his mom and it's myself and one other police officer at that moment. And, um, I had called to see if any of our, uh, crisis workers were on the on the street mobile crisis cops uh, we don't we don't put those civilians into those scenarios because they could get it, it can get dicey mm-hmm. um, but see so if uh sergeant garcia or mike miller somebody was on the road that could come up there and we were we had a pretty decent rapport going with this guy and he wanted a lighter so he could smoke a cigarette this other cop that was there, a younger guy, but I've worked around him before, knows what he's doing, good dude, um, says, yeah, I got a lighter. And he comes over and he brings a lighter. And mind you, we're standing on university and there's a, like a brick railing there, yeah. sidewalk, and then where he's hanging over the, the fence. As that, that younger officer reaches out with the lighter, the guy goes to grab the lighter. This cop tries to grab him and he's like, mm-mm. He scoots back. He's like, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's like, he saw that coming. And he was hot. Um, that other cop right away said, hey, I, I realize I, I made a mistake. And he leaves. And I'm like, I got this. Um, so we're talking. And this guy's telling me, man, hey, don't. Try. And I said, dude, listen, look at me. I'm 55 years old. I am not jumping over this railing so I can fight with you. Right. <laughs> well, that's the last thing that's going to happen. So, right. so let's just let's work from there. And that was. You know, something like that's able to bring this back down to where it needs to be. And it, again, sure. it happens every day. They talk about de-escalation. This is something where I, I will die on this hill for our cops that, you know, when we're pushing 200,000 public contacts a year and you look at the, the there were 250 some shootings in the city last year. Um, I was just looking, we took 694 guns off the street. That's 694 armed encounters that didn't result in a shooting. Yeah. Um, our cops are de-escalating their asses off. We have a, a, a our use of force percentage is less than, less than 1%. So less than 1% of nearly 200,000 encounters a year result in a use of force. That is, that is amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. When you think about what we're going up against and it's because we have the, you know, the resources that, uh, you know, I, I think Chris wanted to talk about yeah. uh, a lot mm-hmm. of it, you know, our mobile crisis team, and th- these are the, our outward facing pieces. 
Yeah, Paul, no. let me let me yeah. let's get a break because this is that's where I wanted to transition after the break is to talk about this the, your crisis teams. I didn't know we got a break. And, yep. So I'm going to take a real quick break. About thirty seconds. Yeah. <laughs> get, get a word from uh, from Revelton Distilling Company and from Gravitate Coworking, and then we'll come back. I'm up and, I'll be right back. Okay. Why take the best corn in the world and make it into fuel when you could make it into whiskey? That's the question that launched Revelton, Iowa's most visible and fastest growing distillery. Owners Rob and Christy Taylor embrace the grain-to-glass philosophy, sourcing ingredients locally and overseeing on-premises production and bottling at their facility in Osceola. One sip and you'll agree that Revelton's handcrafted whiskeys, gins, and vodkas are the best you've ever tasted. And with the launch of their rye whiskey, made with 100% Iowa-grown rye and corn, and their new bourbon coming soon, there's more Revelton to love than ever. Iowa's own Revelton Distillery. ReveltonDistillery.com The great thing about working from home is working from home. The worst thing is working from home, especially for face-to-face collaborations with customers and coworkers. And let's face it, coffee shop meetings are neither private nor professional. So skip the trip to Starbs and investigate Gravitate co-working space. For more than 10 years, Gravitate has provided large and small office and conference spaces, perfect for hosting meetings, workshops, or other events, as well as private phone booths for confidential conversations. Plus, all spaces include secure fiber internet, free coffee, and access to a kitchenette. All you need is your laptop. Gravitate does the rest. And renting space at Gravitate is surprisingly affordable. An hour of office space costs about the same as venti caramel macchiatos and breakfast sandwiches for two. Daily and monthly rates are also available with no long-term commitment. Learn more at GravitateCoworking.com. That's GravitateCoworking.com. All right, and we're back. Thank you uh, to our sponsors, Revelton Distilling Company, Gravitate Coworking. Uh, Revelton, uh, I noticed, uh, published a photo on their social media today. Batch number three of their rye whiskey is about ready to be released. And I know sometime in the next two months, their first batch of bourbon is going to get released as well. So i uh, going to grab a couple of these comments real quick. You know, we were talking about husband and wife dynamics and not telling them to calm down. Apparently, Denny's way to do it is to tell her to calm down and make a sandwich. I don't necessarily think that's a great idea. That seems like that seems like not a de-escalation tool. Is that right, Paul? Well, he's trying to distract her. That might work. <laughs> right. you, you to calm down and say, "Hey, can you make me a sandwich?" Right. So before the break, we re, uh, we started to talk about part of the thing that I wanted to have you on was is obviously the stuff that you guys go through and what services are available that you uh, and your first responders. Uh, have available. But when you were on Heather's show on the drive, uh, I think last week you had talked about what's available to the public as well. So let's let's dive into some of that. So the public piece is um, probably the, the most visible, as it should be, obviously, just like with everything else we do. So we got a what we call a mobile crisis response team. And we have actually had that for over two decades. Um, so this is again, this is one of the frustrating things as a as a PIO when we were talking about some of the the 2020 stuff and some of the demands that were being made that you you have to, you know, train your officers, crisis intervention training, you know, all these different things. We've been doing them. Uh, I think the latest piece of what, when they were talking about the eight can't wait, um, the latest piece of that had been in place in our department since 2017. And, you know, maybe we didn't do such a great job, you know, back then letting people know, but, 
the, the mobile crisis response team is um, specially trained police officers. Now, keep in mind, we all get crisis intervention training, whether it's in the academy or in service training. And it's, uh, it's something that we keep up on. We have to because the, there are so many calls that are mental health related these days. Even when you get called on, uh, you know, a, a fight, you, you it's not uncommon to find that there's some kind of a, a, a pre-existing diagnosis that's contributing to the conflict. Um, but we we roll with social workers. They that's that's a co-response unit. So there there are calls that police officers have taken for years, but now we bring a social worker or a mental health nurse with us. And again, we've been doing that for over two decades. Um, but what we most recently added was what we call our care team, the crisis advocacy response effort. And the care team are same thing, mental health nurses, social workers that will take calls to the police department and they'll respond without a police officer. Um, you know, we've realized over the years that not every welfare check because somebody's down and didn't go show up for work, you don't need to send a cop. Um, the It might be better not to. Yes, that, yeah, right. that was exactly where I was going with that, mm -hmm. is that, you know, oftentimes our presence, depending on what's going on, escalates. Escalates, yeah, yeah, just by being like, there. Yeah. Like, man, hey, I had a I had a bad day yesterday. I didn't feel like going to work. I know I'm not answering the phone. And why the hell are you here? Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Um, but we took it one step further. And I think um, it still stands that we were the second police department in the nation to do this. But we've actually put a mental health clinician in our communication center. So a lot of these calls right now are getting handled by phone. It's almost like telehealth. Sure. Um, they've yeah. got we've got a, a special space for them in our communication center. We had to. Is that a team or is that like just a person? Well, in the communication center, it's one person, but there's also care. There's a care team on the street at the same time. Gotcha. So you've got two different teams operating now that because uh, there are some calls that they're not. And, the, they, and these are not officers, right? No, no, no. Social. How do they get how? So how does somebody get that job? <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Give me a good, <laughs> good hook here. Uh, we've got uh, a hell of a solid partnership with Broadlands Medical Center. Okay. Um, so that's where that staffing comes from. It's um, they hire, they train, then they they bring them into us. It's a, it's a really fantastic group. If you maybe scroll back a couple, maybe a week or so on our Facebook page, we gave them a shout out at the police department for the work that they do, and and because mm -hmm. the, they're, you know, it's like you anything else that once somebody realizes you have, man, there's a demand for it. Yeah, they have the supply. Let's go now. Are there is this something that um, like like someone goes and applies at Broadlawn specifically yep. for this? Yep. Um, and so, like, do they need a degree? Um, I don't know what their hiring standards or what the requirements are, but I would assume it'd be the same if you were going to work in a clinical setting. Mm -hmm. um, but you need to have a driver's license. <laughs> Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, I just, I mean, honestly, that sounds like, I mean, it probably, um, it probably isn't because it's social work and because it's Broadlands. I mean, you know, Broadlands is kind of a government funded hospital, but um, I can't it's imagine it's I'll tell you, I, the most lucrative thing a, in the world, but. Um, 
Well, you know, anytime you get into social services, you're not going to get rich. And, right. And I think those those folks get in there for the right reasons. Yeah. I mean, that that sounds like a job I would like. Yeah. That, that, I mean, that sounds like something I would like to do. I, I just saw a comment <laughs> float across the screen there about Broadlands being the epicenter yeah. for mental health. You know, I worked at Broadlands for 10 years and uh -huh. um, I, I can't even begin to describe the the effort and how noble the, the people who work there are mm -hmm. in being that 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 spot for people for the underserved mm -hmm. you know i mean it's just it's just the way it works and but man day in day out showing up i would you know we've got a group on facebook called uh i think it's broadlands alumni group or something mm -hmm. but you know you see people who have worked there 40 years mm -hmm. and um I mean, it's probably some of the best experience I ever had, particularly when it comes to um, understanding circumstances and and not let understanding that someone isn't always their circumstances. And how do you I, I know that we have um, talked about this before. Um, well, you know what? Actually, we should stay. I don't want to change the subject right now. Uh, <laughs> we should stay on this, actually, uh, just because it's important. Um, now, uh, how many calls, like you, you mentioned having, you know, 250 shootings, however many calls a year, how many calls now that you guys have this care team, uh, how much has that, how much weight has that taken off of you guys? Like how many calls a, a, a month would you say, uh, does that save the Des Moines Police Department from having to deal with. Well, you're gonna make me put on my glasses and look here because <laughs> I, just got, I just got this email the other day. Uh, oh, here we go. Com Center annual stats. Uh, so here you go, hot off the presses. <laughs> that's right. That'd be a, that's really intimidating. Like you're getting arrested. Hold on a second. I gotta read your license. <laughs> Yeah, if I'm putting on my glasses, man, you might as well just start running, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, and, and, you know, this is kind of timely because we did go into a little bit today because we're actually hiring dispatchers, which is not part of this conversation. But right, right. We were talking about um, all their, their phone calls that, and, and just the, the volume of work up there. So where is the care team? Okay, here we go. Care and mobile crisis. Um so we we started them i want to say it was just before the second quarter of the care team just before the second quarter of the year and this year yep mm -hmm. so of 2023 gotcha and so the mobile crisis officer that that co-response that we talked about so like you may have um a suicide threat um where maybe they have a plan and that plan might involve a weapon so you're gonna you're mm -hmm. gonna send a police officer along doesn't mean we stay we may take off uh, once but it's a safety thing because of the yep. weapon yeah, yeah just like with the firefighters you know if they're responding to a shooting they don't sure. go until we yeah get you don't want a civilian it. dealing with an armed person yeah because nobody's getting help then right yeah right. um so when it comes to those that co-response there were 4391 calls um the care team their field response so that's the the care team going without a police officer going out to take care of it themselves uh, 882 and then the phone calls and dispatch that they the calls they handled just by phone like the telehealth type of thing 551 so 
the total mental health diversion as far with our calls for service um, was 5,800, so close to 6,000. That's huge. When you look at, I mean, these the, their total calls, phone calls coming into dispatch last year, mm -hmm. um, 492,000, almost half a million. Wow. Phone calls. <laughs> and that was a 5% increase over last year. Um, now, when you look at the care team, because we started them in 2023, obviously they're 100% more than what we did last year because we didn't have them. But looking at it as we move forward over the next few years, that's probably going to be one of the most valuable resources that we have and that mm -hmm. we have to offer. It well, I think literally that's great. help is just a phone call away. I think that's a great asset too. Like just, I mean, in general, I think that it seems to me like the Des Moines Police Department is doing a lot of the right things as far as adjusting to just the the way society changes, right? And the culture you know? changing, and in the way, yeah. I mean, like um, to me, like when 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 people are saying things like defund the police when they're going to like ridiculous levels mm -hmm. like that when people say things like that actually what you guys are doing is is what should be being done right the more yeah. things that can be dealt with without police involved the better sure but the problem is so many people their first phone calls the cops because they don't know who else to call not when well, one's just what they call Okay, and take this a step further. When you look at a lot of the programs that we run, um, particularly when we talked about our Police Activities League, which now is entirely donated, donation funded, mm -hmm. um, other than the employees, mm -hmm. those were a lot of those were programs that somebody else started, and for whatever reason, whether it was finance, whether it was mm -hmm. staffing, or just commitment, um, no, somebody else couldn't run, mm -hmm. and then. Hey, who's gonna? Who's here twenty four seven? Well, the cops. Yeah, you know? mm -hmm. and we're not really good at saying no when it comes to this, so mm -hmm. we'll take on these programs, and um, it's it's really really good. But we've got to get other people involved, and that's what we've been doing, and and it's working out really well. But when you know you you talk about the the police doing all these things to adjust to the culture and just the way our society's changing, the greatest challenge that as a police organization that we have is we still got to do police work too. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah. There's still bad guys out there. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. So somehow making our, helping our community understand that we need to do all of this, the the outreach that we're doing and, uh -huh. and find different ways, whether it's juvenile court diversion or mental health diversion, that's all great. But there are still people out there that are going to need us to, jack them up take them to jail yeah yeah i mean right. they still exist well and, and that's and that's kind of the point the more you guys can focus on the bad guys the better well and that so, it, it needs to happen yeah. um you know um i think one of the things i just shared on social media today that uh, a stat that kind of stood out to me and uh, i got some commentary from the chief on it to add was that you know our uh, arrests of felons in possession of firearms went up 28 percent last year all right. So as we start talking about gun problems, the, the lowest hanging fruit that we can go after is a felon who has a gun because they aren't mm. supposed to have one. Right. 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 It's not a two A issue. It's not anything else. Um, but to see that number rise like that, it, it, there's two pieces to it. You know, our cops are doing a great job identifying these targets and going after them. Um, but, you know, 
man, there's a lot of guns out there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, and also it could also be a little bit of a ripple effect of having things like the care team and having things like that so that you guys have more time to deal with getting firearms out of felons hands. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, it, it, in the grand scheme of things, when you're talking about 500,000 calls in a year, you know, uh, 1400 or 5,000 of them don't seem like that much of a different, you know, that much of a difference maker. But <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's 5,000 calls that you guys are able to focus elsewhere. Right. And, and think about this also, it, it may not numerically seem like a big impact, but a lot of those calls are very time consuming. Mm-hmm. Because think mm-hmm. about the conversation that needs to happen sure, to, have, yeah. to yeah. be effective at all, mm-hmm. you know, and that was one of the things I remember, you know, when, um, like my partner is great guy, Danny white. Um, he's, uh, quarterback he, from the Cowboys. <laughs> he'd like to be he wears, <laughs> he wears a Jersey. Let me tell you, yeah. <laughs> and he's been to the motherland. He's, he's that guy. Um, <laughs> but, uh, he, um, he's, he's worked up in our detective bureau now. I mean, he had probably one of the best, um, he, he could talk to anybody under any circumstances. Um, but man, when, when it got to that point where he was done, he was done, mm-hmm. you know, and something was sure. going to happen. And a, a lot of times, you know, it's because we had time constraints, you know, you, right. you, you're, uh, you know, okay, got, I can't. This is going in too much of a circle. I can't. We yeah, can't and anything. yeah, right. And you know, and you, the other thing you have to think about is, you know, we work. Law enforcement is structured on a priority system, mm-hmm. all right. And we have priorities. I think they go zero to nine now with our calls. A priority zero is the exact opposite of what it sounds like. That's the everybody drop what they're doing. It doesn't right matter what you're doing, and you, it's you're shooting at East High School. You're, yeah, everybody's yeah. going. Um, you know, and then the, the, the significance goes down as you, you go. But, you know, we work on a structured priority system and it doesn't matter how many phone calls are coming in. If there's a priority one, mm-hmm. somebody is dropping what they're doing and going and taking care of that. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of these calls, when we start talking about um, mental health issues or uh, juvenile issues, those problems started two, three years before that person ever picked up the phone and called us. Right. They're not going to fix it in five minutes. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So, so 5,800 calls. Yeah. It may not sound a lot when you're talking about 500,000, but when you look at the time invested and, and the outcome, the outcome mm. is going to be something that we're watching really, really closely and being partnered with Broadlands is going to give us that opportunity because they're able to follow them through aftercare. Yeah. Well, and to Bill's point earlier with the defund of police and things like that, those are the programs that are going to go first. You're right. Yeah, and, and here's the other thing. Well, we those are the programs to me that are those are the programs that are accomplishing what people that say defund. A hundred percent want right. But you what know? I think that they yeah. don't understand is is that when you defund those, those are the programs that are unfortunately getting cut. sure because those yeah. aren't essential police functions. Right. And, and but we're supporting those right now and we're sustaining them and we want to continue to do that. We want to get because the the outreach opportunities of us having those moments with people changes lives. And, and, and it also 
if if we are effective at that, then that's going to carry on when we're gone. Yeah. So we want to have those opportunities. The biggest concern when it, this is a whole nother conversation, Chris, but one of the bigger concerns when it comes to the defund thing is that technology is out budgeting police departments. I yeah. mean, you, it took us over a million dollars just to get our body camera program off the ground. Yep. And that was in 2017. It's the prices are going through the roof and uh, we have to sustain it. There are actually um, police departments now that uh, are dealing with critics who want them to get rid of their body cameras because one, it's too expensive and two, they're using them to prosecute too many people. It's having the, the opposite effect of, course. of what what they wanted. You know, there, there's not all these bad cops out there. Yeah. Right. Holy shit. Now they got to actually proven shit. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, like I had a, I had a, a thing actually recently where um, a prosecuting attorney was pulled me into a room and was trying to discourage me from testifying. Uh, it ended up not going to court. It ended up not happening but anyway i was it was an ex-roommate of mine um and it was a domestic thing where he ended up being arrested for uh suppose allegedly beating up his girlfriend right well this happened in my house the incident happened in my house it was in his room so all i heard was noise i didn't you know witness anything right um and so the way I understood it was like he had called the cops on her and the cops came, didn't take anybody away at the time. Um, so I, you know, I thought that was it. Well, later on that night, I'm getting ready to leave town. And later on that night, they come to my house to get him. And they were slick about this shit too, man. They, <laughs> they came up, <laughs> they opened the door and, or I opened the door and my dog, I at the time this was my old dog, my old dog Jax, who was 140 pounds, this massive, huge dog, and had a loud bark, you know. And uh, so the dog's going nuts when they knock on the door. So I step outside and I heard nothing. I mean, there was like there was four of them. There was no car anywhere, no nothing. I was like, holy shit. And they asked for her, who obviously she doesn't didn't live here you know and i'm like well she she doesn't live here i don't you know well are you so you know i asked if i was my roommate and i'm like and the one there was one guy that was t that was kind of looking at me like you you him you know that kind of oh you that kid oh you guy beats up girls you know he had that fucking attitude but whatever he was fine i get it and uh he was uh so anyway he was um you know they're so then I go, no. And they go, well, can we talk to him? So I, yeah. And I go in and get him. And the next thing I know, they're cuffing him up. Like he walks out. <laughs> so I was like, oh, man, I didn't know about that one. Was, oh, they got me. <laughs> yeah, <take> plot, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, yeah. I, at the time, as they were taking him away, uh, they asked me if I was here when everything happened, if I knew what happened. And I said, no. And it was because I just didn't want to get involved. I didn't know how far any of this was going to go. I didn't want to, I didn't want to get involved. Yeah, no, I don't know shit. And so then fast forward, it's going to go to court, all that stuff. Uh, she, she says, uh, 
she's like, I got, we've got you on camera saying that you were there. So why didn't you say anything at the time? Why didn't you say that you didn't do this at the time? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, and when I get involved, she takes me in, shows me the video because I was like, no, I didn't. And then, sure enough, there I am. No, I wasn't here. And she says, like, well, see, you know, because I can get, you know, trying to threaten me with perjury, which I'm not a fucking idiot. I was like, I'm not, it's not perjury because I lied to the cops. It's perjury by lying court. Like, I'm not stupid. <laughs> you know, so I, I went on with it. But there you go. Body, I didn't remember. I, I swear to God, I was like, I have no idea. And then, boom, there he is. Yeah, yeah, no. I, you know, I lied to him. The, the, the video thing is, there was a lot of resistance to it when we first got it, you know, because cops were like, oh, you know, they're spying on us and all that. Yeah, yeah. It, all feels big, it feels big brother-ish. I sure did. It. Yeah. it sure did. It's like but truck drivers being GPSed. It, they don't it, want that it shit takes, Yeah, it takes one time that that saves your ass. And then you're like, this yeah. is the greatest thing ever. And yeah. that's all it took for me was one time where, you know, I said, no, I, I didn't do that. And it was a um, long story, but it, it was a pretty violent incident. And um, it, they were it was getting ready to go to federal court. I mean, it was bad. And this guy got hurt. And I said, everything I did, I needed to do. And good detective found some video, you know, of the incident inside a bar and save it totally saved me i mean it proved that i had i told the truth and i did everything by the book did what i had to do nothing more um it was unfortunate that what happened to this cat but um you know you get that one incident and you're like this is the greatest thing ever yeah yeah i'll bet all so, right we're, we're gonna we're gonna get uh you off here paul i know that uh yeah. it, Appreciate your time and 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 giving us your time and and for what you do for the city and and, and things like that. It's uh, it's well, very this, important. So yeah, and this kind of rolled out exactly how you said it would. That build go off on a tangent and we'd have conversation and never get down to where we started our conversation. But if you ever want to revisit the, some <laughs> of the internal uh, workings of our peer support team and what we do for for cops in in crisis and to deal with the the day-to-day -day traumas, um, I'd be more than happy to join you. I, I, I'm sure that we could we could carve out two or three more episodes. Maybe we'll have thought, so we, are you saying we didn't cover everything? I thought... <laughs> Dude, I know more about you now than I ever did, and I thought I knew you pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> uh... and, we, and we didn't even have to get into the fact that I don't like it because I'm a cyclone. <laughs> I, I would just like it pointed out that when he said that they do that symbol when they score a touchdown, and I was I, I refrained from saying that that wasn't very often this year. So I would just yeah. like, I would like, I would like credit that I didn't take the low road and take a shot. Except you passive aggressively just did it because you're, I, because a, I'm really fucking good. You're a typical bitch ass cyclone <laughs> fan that does things that way. That's right. Instead of just coming right out and saying yeah, it. That's right. Goddamn right. passive aggressive little fucking girl. No, this whole thing is blocking hole. No, all right. We can wrap this up now. Thanks for watching the invite. Thank you, yeah, Paul. Absolutely, man. Yep. And I do want to say quickly, like, you know, and Paul and I have had other conversations at different times. Um, you know, I I have always been one of the more challenging, probably, friends that, that you've had. I mean, because I ask the questions. But, you know, Paul has always 
given a very clear, concise, intelligent, well thought out answer. Um, I am personally so happy that you're the face of our police department. Um, because I, I've seen what it looks like elsewhere. Right. Oh, yeah. We, we really are very fortunate to have, uh, you and the type of police department we have. I know that there's people out there that won't agree with me, For sure. um, but there's always going to be improvement that can be made uh, all across the board. And I, yeah. I believe when it comes to mental health and when it comes to, um, you know, evolving, uh, I do think that the Des Moines police department is up there at the very top and, and I hope that you guys know that and you keep moving in that direction. There, there's a lot of conversation in our building every day about what we do to try to stay at the tip of the spear when it comes to, to law enforcement. And um, I appreciate what you're saying about, you know, our communication strategies. It's something that I've learned along the way and um, we work really hard at. And one thing that I want to make sure everybody understands day in and day out, our, my primary goal is the PIO and running the media office is to make sure that you understand and that you have enough information and context to understand why we make the decisions that we do. Right. We're more than happy to have the conversations if you disagree or if mm -hmm. you don't understand. But like you said, being able to give those answers and explain the process and, and what we're up against and where we're trying to go, um, that's our goal. We just want people to understand. You well, and I, I'll, I'll close out and just say that that there's not, in my opinion, a more transparent uh, organization than than your guys's. I, I don't know of any other city that has a weekly segment on a radio station where people can call in and ask any question that they There's want. There's a lot of police departments and, that are jealous of that. And <laughs> contrary to popular belief that was narrated a couple weeks ago, uh, you guys give as much information as you possibly can without without jeopardizing investigations. And I would much rather see that and make sure that you're doing it right and not giving out wrong information sure. so that the bad guys can be put away. So uh, kudos. And we also, we, you got also got to make sure you're maintaining the, you know, the privacy and the dignity of crime victims. Absolutely. So it, it yeah. is a tight rope to walk, but uh, yeah. we, we do our best. And it, these moments like this, being able to have these candid conversations really help. So mm -hmm. this is no different than what we do at KX and O man. Um, you know, candid conversation and, and back and forth and, it's great, and I appreciate it, and I'm sure the rest of our folks do, too. All right. Awesome. Thank you thank again, you. man. Yeah, Love thanks, all. everybody, for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, go ahead and make sure you subscribe. Rate us uh, as the Hot Miss Happy Hour ladies say. Rate us a five. If not, keep that shit to yourself. So with that, we are out of here.